0: A five-footer can't become a six-footer. A dead person can't make himself alive. And someone who has a wicked, sinful heart can't just simply change their heart, can they? Look at the text here. This is the issue with Israel is that they are proud about what they think they can do. They're proud about their own achievements. They're proud about their circumcision. They're proud about the temple. They're proud about the land that they live in. And they believe that because of who they are, they are essentially invincible and that they can do whatever they want to do. Pride, you could say, is... Looking at ourselves and believing that we in some way are are glorious because of who we are, because of what we can that we deserve our own glory, that we deserve our own praise. I think the tagline for pride could be, quote, I've got this. I've got this. This is Israel's problem. Look at verse 23. We might have picked up on this verse. Jeremiah, you know, he's, we've, we've picked this up, by the way, as we've been studying this book. Jeremiah is very sarcastic in the way he writes. He gets at things through analogies and through sentences that, that cause you to think. He says, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard change his spots? This could be applied to every ethnicity. Can a European change his skin or every animal? Can a zebra remove his stripes? What he's saying is, is like, there, there are, are things that you just can't change. And one of those things you can't change is the fact, Israel, that you're not doing good. He says, can those who are accustomed to evil, can they do good? Now he's building up to this big theme that God is going to bring along a new heart. But what he needs Israel to know is that they can't change their heart on their own. We as humans are called sinners. Everybody say sinner. Meaning, the Bible doesn't say you are essentially a pretty good person who has a sin struggle. That would be a nice way to put it. And that's the way a lot of us think of ourselves. Like, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm essentially, like, I deserve a lot of worth and glory and praise. I, I have this sin problem as well. And the Bible says, no, you are a Sinner. Err. Everybody say er. Sinner means that's what you do, it's who you are. Meaning, without Christ, we are identified in the pages of scriptures as sinners. How can a sinner then change? Pride comes in all forms. Those who are given over to their sin and enjoy their sin, they're proud, believing that they can sort of live a life outside of God's law, They, they can live a life creating their own happiness. That's a form of pride. Yet at the same time, those who are externally obedient are also susceptible to pride. Believing that their obedience is something that they've accomplished. Something they've done on their own. All pride leads to destruction. This is why we're talking about killing pride this morning. Because we need to kill pride before it kills us. So how do we kill pride? Well, first, let's look at the text and let's see that pride indeed will kill you. I want to to show you a couple things here in Jeremiah 13. I want to point out how pride does ultimately lead to our destructions. Destruction. First, we see in the text that pride steals from the glory of God. Or another way we could put that is pride steals glory from God. One of the images that I'm going to unpack for you here is uh, uh, this, this image of beauty. That we are created by God to be beautiful. We are remade to be beautiful. Yet God is doing a work in Joel Kerr's, not for Joel Kerr's own glory. But God is doing a work in me, and God is doing a work in you for his glory. So, pride, when I say I deserve glory, is doing what? We are stealing glory from God. Are you tracking with me? And he uses this image of clothing here. Let me illustrate this for you, all right? Mike Affilabi dresses really well. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I always, he and Logan, I kind of go back and forth trying to figure out which one has the most swag in the garden church. But this morning, Mike Affalabi definitely wins it. Mike, could you just stand up for me for a second? <laughs> everybody just turn your attention to Mike Affalabi. Now, don't, don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. Look at these socks, everybody. They, they, they draw out some color schemes that he has going on up top. I ought to have you walk down this aisle, but I don't want to praise you too much. Now the thing about clothing is this, clothing, (laughs) stay standing, clothing, let me back up, when I look at Mike Afalabi, what I say is, man, you look good, right? I don't say your clothing looks good, meaning your clothing is designed to highlight your own glory. Does that make sense? Let's give Mike. Let's give him a hand. Take a seat, brother. Take a seat. You're putting us all in shame. I'm up here with my shirt untucked. Um, or you could think of someone uh, who who bought a, a, a new dress, and you think, "Wow, that, seeing you in this dress, this you, you look beautiful today." We're not actually complimenting the dress per se. But we're talking about how the dress draws out your natural beauty. This is why we would say, that that shirt doesn't look right on you. It doesn't mean that the shirt's not a nice shirt. It just isn't drawing out your cheekbones the way that that shirt does. Are you guys tracking with me? All right, let's get into the text. (laughs) I'm using an illustration that God uses here. He he calls Jeremiah to sort of a really strange practice. Look at verse 1. He says, Go down to HM. That's in the original, that's in the Hebrew. Go buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. That just simply means it's not soiled, it's it's brand new, it's not corrupt, it's a really nice piece of. Of, uh, of, of clothing. i buy this linen loincloth. Now some theologians say that this is referring to underwear, which kind of makes the whole illustration funnier. I don't think he's actually referring to underwear uh, because of the fabric linen that's, that's, that's used. This is a priestly fabric. And uh, in, in Jeremiah's day, the priest would wear a linen belt, which is another, uh, this could be translated, waist belt. They would wear this priestly belt. I think what God is telling Jeremiah to do is to go down to wherever and, and buy yourself one of these priestly belts, a beautiful garment that you're able to show off in, in some way. Now, if we could imagine Jeremiah typically dressing in prophet's clothing, probably a simple tunic, some sandals, for him to be walking around all of a sudden with this priestly belt on, it'd be like if Montrell just starts walking around with a tux, like that's not Montrell's typical garb, what's he trying to say to us, what's he trying to tell us this morning, so Jeremiah's walking around and it would have made quite a statement, and and then God shows us the purpose of this, Look at verse 11. He says, For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Like God saying, I made this beautiful linen belt of Israel, to cling to my waist, to wrap around my waist. Or in other words, today we could say, God is saying, I made the bow tie and the jacket to be worn, or the dress to be worn for for my praise and for my glory. Don't you see what God is showing us here is God's purpose in election. His purpose in salvation. Why did God do something with Israel at all? He's showing us here. It's because I was going to wear you. Not for your glory. Not so we can praise the article of clothing. But to show me off. To display my natural beauty. Are you guys tracking with this analogy? So, pride then is the loincloth turning to itself, saying, We ought to be praised. It's all about us. It's all about our glory. Well, the opposite of pride we see right here in verse 15 is giving glory to the Lord your God. He says in verse 15, Be not proud. Verse 16, Give glory to the Lord. This is the negative side. Don't be proud. The positive side. Give glory to God. What does it look like to be humble? Somebody answer that for me. I just gave you the answer. You give glory to God. The opposite of pride is giving glory to God. Then what we could understand then is that pride then would just simply be giving glory to who? To myself. God saves church for His glory. God saves you for His glory. And this is encouraging for you because if God saves me for my glory, I've got no assurance in that. He might just as soon change his mind. But if God saves me for His glory, that means He is going to keep remaking me and doing something beautiful in me because the more He can do in me and the more He can do in you, the more glorious He looks. What does He do? Well, God takes a sinner and He redefines her. God takes a sinner and He changes him into a child of God. A sinner, yes, but saved by grace. One who is being sanctified progressively less and less of a sinner until one day they will be glorified. Beautiful. A linen. Belts made for the glory of God. That is our story, church. It means that God is going to do something in your life for His glory. God is going to do something in your marriage for His glory. God is going to do something. with the the struggles that you have, the way that you spend your free time, the things about your life that, that, that bring you shame. God is about to do something in your life, not for your glory, but for His glory. Now somebody should say amen to that. Like this is a really big truth. But pride steals from the glory of God. Secondly, pride leaves me unusable. Pride leaves me unusable. I I, I could ask Mike Afalabi to take off his jacket and to go tear it up, but I'm not going to ask him to do that. But that's what God asked Jeremiah to do. God is about to show something to the people through this analogy that Jeremiah is currently living out. Remember this beautiful garment he bought? God is about to make it unusable. Which, by the way, I have a habit of buying clothes that shrink. Anybody, does anybody else, can anybody say amen? I'm I'm with you, brother. Don't dry it, that means... That means things take forever to get dry. That means I got clothes hanging all over the place. I get it. But even when I hang stuff, it still ends up in the dryer somehow. So I bought this sweater. I bought the, actually, let me back up. I bought a button down. It was a really nice button down. I got, got it for like six bucks, which is like the max I'll pay on any garment. And uh, yeah. brought it home. <laughs> brought it home, and it, it fit nice and uh and it went into the wash it did go into the dryer came out of the dryer and i put it on i was like actually just look at what i'm wearing (laughs) this right here this was a robe when i bought it (laughs) i put it on and i'm like jess it shrunk and she was like it looks fine don't worry but like she's trying to make me feel better because she knows i just bought it And i'm like it's a mid-drift. I can't preach in this thing anymore. It's useless. That's my point. It's destroyed. It's ruined. It's unusable. This is what pride does to us. It makes us unusable for the purposes that God has for us in His kingdom. So what happens with Jeremiah here? Look at verse 4. He says, take the loincloth or the belt that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise, go to the Euphrates, hide it in the cleft of the rock. He's going to stick it in there. He's going to let it spoil. He's going to let it get wet. He's going to let the dirt come all around it. He's going let it, to let it decay. Why? Verse 9, even so I will spoil the pride of Judah, the great pride of Jerusalem, this evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly, stubbornly follow their own heart, and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them. They shall be like this loincloth, loin which is good for nothing. Unusable. You know, it's, it's really the opposite of what we want in our pride. You see, in our pride, we want so badly to be worthy. To be seen as worthy. To be viewed as worthy. Pride does the opposite. It's ironic, isn't it? But it, by its own nature, makes you unworthy. We want so badly to be useful in this world. And and to achieve that, we turn to our pride. But the very nature of pride makes us unusable in this world i could go on with hundreds of examples of how i've seen great and wonderful people fall because of pride i've seen leaders spiritual leaders activists pastors who commend themselves so much they become uncommendable. i think it was h.b charles i don't remember who exactly said this i don't remember if it was h.b charles i couldn't find the quote so You can just quote me on this, all right? (laughs) Whoever it was, Joel Kurz said, if you're commendable, let someone else commend you. Because what happens with pride is we spend so much time pointing the spotlight on ourselves that nobody wants to look. (laughs) And we're uncommendable. I've seen, I've known, I've heard of, of pastors who, who ruined their ministries because of pride. One pastor he, he had a, a, a book, he had a great blog, like a lot of followers. He had a booming church. He ended up falling into an extramarital affair. As a result, he lost his family. he lost his ministry. And when he was asked by a friend of mine what happened, what he said was, everybody treated me like a rock star, except for my wife. And that was the problem. Pride. Pride. How many, how many of you have a spouse that treats you like a rock star. <laughs> our, our spouses, yeah, you better put your hand up. <laughs> Praise God for the nuisance. Our spouses are given to us to keep us humble. And you single saints, you want, you want to be married... I get it, but just know this: if one day you do find yourself in a marriage, your spouse is given to you to make you humble. All right, like it can be some hard work. And and if you're filled with pride, and if you're going into your life believing that everybody ought to treat you a certain way, it's just you're just going to crumble. I'm just simply using this pastor as an example of how pride ruins you. It makes you unusable for the purposes that God has for you in His kingdom. On the flip side, God takes unusable people in the world's eyes and makes them usable. Isn't that amazing? Like God, I've, I've seen people who are so eloquent and they're, they're great preachers and they, they're great leaders. They can do so much, they have so many skills. Yet they remain unusable in God's kingdom because of their pride. But I've also seen how people come with absolutely nothing, according to the world, stumbling over their words. They wouldn't be seen as skilled or gifted according to the world's standards, yet they are used in such incredible ways in the kingdom of God. God loves to confound the wise with fools. God loves to take the humble and lift them up and say, this is the kind of person that I can use because through this vessel, my glory can be known to the nations this is the gospel of jesus christ the gospel takes sinners and turns sinners into saints the gospel takes people who were so broken by sin and they were they were so unusable And He reshapes them. And He remakes them. He lives for them. He dies for them. He rises three days later from the dead for them. And He gives them His life. And He gives them a job. And He gives them a role. And and the Holy Spirit gifts them with the tools that they need for the job. And they rely completely on the Lord Jesus Christ, their Father, the Holy Spirit, for their ministry and for their life. And God uses them in wonderful ways. Have you ever come to the changer? Have you ever come to the one who can take the old heart and replace it with a new heart? Have you ever come to the one who can actually take the stripes off the zebra if he so desires? And who can take the sin off of your sin-sick soul? Thirdly, pride brings with it humiliation. I read a story of two teenagers who were playing chicken in cars. Both were too proud to turn the other way. And they hit each other, head-on collision, and they both died. What an example of how our pride, what a sad example of how our pride ultimately brings with it humiliation there is not a proud individual out there who will not eventually be humiliated one way or another this loincloth has become stained and it's become decayed it is humiliated it is good for nothing it's unusable God will humble the pride we see in this chapter in a couple different ways. First, God will humble the pride by making them powerless. Verses 12 through verse 27 show us a number of metaphors that are used. It shows us the humiliation that God is about to bring to these proud people. In verse 12 through 17, in particular, we see these metaphors of of drunkenness. Look at verse 13. He says, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill you with drunkenness, all the inhabitants of the land. Verse 14, I will dash them one another against, uh, against one another, fathers and sons together. Or skip down to verse 16, right there we see their feet will stumble. The picture that God is painting is, is that I'm going to make you powerless. On that day when Babylon comes from the north, you who think you're so invincible. You who think that you've got so much. You've got, you, you can do so much for yourself. When the day comes for you to show how powerful you are, I'm going to make you like a bunch of drunks. And you're going to be stumbling over each other. You're going to be stumbling over your own feet. You're going to be running in to your brothers and to your fathers. As you try to fight, you're going to be utterly powerless on that day. secondly, God is going to humble them by placing them under foreign kings. Look at verse 18. He says, Say to the king and to the queen mother, take a lowly seat, for your beautiful crown has come down from your head. Or look at verse 21. He says, What will you say when they set as head over you, those whom you yourself have taught to be friends to you? What he's saying is, is kings of Israel, don't you realize that I'm about to place you under other foreign kings? Like if you think that you are good to go, you think that you don't need God as your king, I'm going to place another king over you. In other words, pride is saying I'm in control. God is saying, "All right, you think you're in control. I'm going to put someone else in control of you and see how you feel. Thirdly, God is about to humble them through turning them over to violence. Now, these are some bitter and ugly words that are used here. Look at verse 22, for example. He says, if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? It is for the greatness of your iniquity that your skirts are lifted up and you suffer violence. Verse 26, I I myself will lift up your skirts over your face and your shame will be seen. I have seen your abominations, your adulteries, your neighings, your lewd whorings on the hills in the field. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. Ancient warfare Very similar to modern warfare. When you get godless people coming in, conquering a certain land, there's plundering, there's raping, there's all kinds of violence. This was the practice of the Babylonians. Like, there's some literal elements to this. As God is saying, Babylon is coming in, and you're going to be shamed, you're going to be abused. Like, this is extreme. God is not saying this is okay. God is not saying that 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 Babylon actually Babylon is going to be held accountable for what they do to Israel. But what God is saying is is I'm going to give you over to the shame that your pride has brought upon you. Now this brings Jeremiah to tears. Look at verse 17. But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. Jeremiah is often called what? The weeping prophet. Here we see yet again, Jeremiah is weeping. And he's not weeping. I want you to listen to this. This is important. He's not weeping because of their punishment. He's not weeping because their punishment is going to be so severe. Why is he weeping? Because of their pride. It's not the judgment. It's not the pain that's inflicted. It's not the uh, the, the discipline that comes that causes Jeremiah to weep. But what causes him to weep throughout this book is that Israel has set aside the glory of God and exchanged it for the glory of self. He's crying. He's weeping because of their pride. Someone once said, be humble before you st- stumble. What does repentance look like? Repentance is to recognize the areas of pride that we have in our hearts, and like Jeremiah, it's, it's to break over those things. Not over the shame that it's brought, not over the humiliation that it's brought into our life, but we are to weep over the very fact that we have set our glory over and above the glory of God. Cry out to Him, God forgive me for my pride. You know, the the judgment that we see pictured here is really just a mere glimpse of hell. Hell. This is, the, this is the ultimate humiliation coming upon the pride. God, don't let me weep just because of the reality of hell. But let me weep because of the pride that's sending people to hell. And let me see that in my own life, God. Expose that. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon His name. And the Bible says, you will be saved. Amen? What if we had a church culture of humility? You, you do realize churches can get proud. You do realize that we, we could be so focused on, 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 on doing things a certain way, we don't do things the way other churches do it, and then we get proud. We've got these beliefs, we've got the right beliefs, they've got the wrong beliefs, and then we get proud. Of friends, let us stay humble. Like, what if we in our church, what if we had a culture of keeping people humble? Where nobody in our church would treat each other as a rock star. And you don't treat me like a rock star. But we keep each other humble. Like, what if our interactions with each other were something along the lines of, keep me humble before I stumble. Speak truth into my life. And where you see pride, I love it when you point it out so I can turn and give glory to God. Friends, all forms of pride will lead to your destruction. And pride comes in every shape, in every fashion, in every form. Those who lose a game can struggle with pride because they think they should have won. Those who win a game can struggle with pride because they won. You know, racism, of all forms, is pride at the very root of it. We could be proud because we live in the hood, and then others could be proud because they live in the suburbs, and mutually look down on each other because of the place in which we live. When we sin, we could be proud about the fact that we have found some happiness outside of God. And when we obey, we could be proud about the fact that we have obeyed and they have not. Charles Spurgeon said, Be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. Jesus tells a parable of a tax collector and a priest who go together in a temple to pray. Let me let me sort of modernize it for you. He tells a, a, a parable of a of a sex offender and a pastor who go in a church to pray. The sex offender he's he's known for his offenses. When he got out of jail, everybody was like, Keep keep our kids away from this individual. Don't let him near you. Don't invite him into your home. Dangerous individual. And then we listen into their prayers. We can hear the pastor praying as he stands looking at the sex offender across the room. And the pastor's prayer is this God, thank you for not making me like that sex offender. And then we hear the prayer of the sex offender. As he's beating himself on the chest and he cries out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus asks his disciples, which one of these is righteous? He says, I tell you, the tax collector is righteous and the Pharisee doesn't get it. The only thing worse than being a tax collector is being proud that you're not a tax collector. The only thing worse than being a liar is being proud that you're not a liar. The only thing worse than being a racist is being proud that you're not a racist. The only thing worse than being a sex offender is being proud that you're not a sex offender. Spiritual humility is to say I might not have externally committed that sin, but I've committed it here. Like there's a hundred reasons as to why I might not have gone through with that sin. And gone ahead with it and committed it. But the reality is, is I committed it in my heart. Spiritual humility is to say that if it was not for the grace of God, then I would be like every criminal, every offender, every sinner that there is. It was John Bradford, an old pastor, who supposedly said when he saw criminals being marched to the gallows, there but the grace of God go I. If it wasn't for God's grace, I would be dead what does the tax collector understand that the Pharisee doesn't understand? Well, it's what Jeremiah glimpses, actually. Look at verse 27 as we close. He says, he asks this question, how long will it be before you are made clean? How long will it be before you are made clean? Let's just pause for a second there. Well that isn't yet an answer that's sort of a rhetorical question he only asks that question because he knows that there is coming a day when Israel will be made clean this is a glimmer of hope in a discouraging passage there is coming a day when God's people will forever be made clean and that didn't just happen in the old testament but we got to keep reading Until we get to the New Testament and we see the person of Jesus who though He was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, He did what? He humbled Himself. And He made Himself of no reputation taking on the form of a servant. Even to the point of death on the cross. And there, God in the flesh Humbling Himself, died for the proud like you and I. He took on this judgment that should be ours. He took on the destruction of our pride and He bore every bit of it. What does the tax collector understand? That the Pharisee doesn't understand. The tax collector understands That he is utterly dependent on the grace and mercy of God. Without God's grace, I can't breathe. And without God's grace, I can't be forgiven. And without God's grace, I can't do one single good deed. I need God's grace for everything. The tax collector understands that God is up to something in his life. That God is willing to do something in His life. That God is going to change the unchangeable. That God can move into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit and give you a new heart. And wake you up from the dead. And give you eyes to see. And grow your faith. And grow you in sanctification. Grow you in holiness. And keep growing you until the sinner becomes a saint, until all things are made new. But for that, friends, listen, we are entirely dependent on God's grace. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this text, for for the reality of Your judgment on our pride. God, we do not weep because You are a just God and bring judgment. We weep because we are so prone to turn against You. Because we see pride in our hearts and in our lives. God, we thank You for saving us. For cleansing us. We thank You that Jesus' blood is enough to forgive us of all of our pride. God, we pray that You will continue to kill our pride in our hearts. So that we might live as usable vessels for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.